some members of the Senate now came to the conclusion that all was lost. The most radically innovative action was required. It was time for the Venetians to abandon Venice altogether and shift the capital of their empire to Candia or Constantinople, despite the fact that this was not even Venetian territory. The city had always looked east, where its empire lay. The island city in the lagoon was merely a historical anomaly, a vulnerable trading port at the western limit of the empire. The heart of the Venetian empire no longer lay in Europe, in any sense, strategic or commercial. Such arguments held considerable force. Indeed, they had been seriously considered in the past, especially during times of expansionist ambition. One only had to look at the city's architecture to see this oriental inclination expressed in solid form. The Basilica of San Marco, the church of the city's patron saint, was unmistakably Byzantine, while the famous four horses also came from Constantinople. And the symbol of San Marco, the winged lion on its pedestal overlooking the Molo, originated from even further east, from Syria, Persia, or perhaps China. More than a thousand years previously, the Roman Empire had divided between east and west, between Rome and Constantinople. Venice now surely belonged with the Eastern Empire, not with Italian Rome. Indeed, in what sense was the Venetian Empire really European at all? Such self-questioning had long remained beneath the surface, but, arising as it did now, this was nothing less than defeatist talk. Although well into his seventies, Dodger Andrea Contarini, along with the majority of his aging senators, vigorously dismissed any such mutterings. On the contrary, they made it clear that, despite their age, they would be volunteering to fight for their city. Meanwhile, extreme measures were implemented. The salary of all civil servants was withheld, and a forced loan imposed on all nobles and merchants in order to raise the equivalent of 400,000 ducats to finance an emergency program to defend the city, as well as to launch a major program of refurbishment and shipbuilding at the Arsenale. However, much of this money would be placed at the disposal of envoys dispatched on clandestine missions to the mainland to hire mercenary commanders and all the soldiers they could muster. At the same time, in view of the crippling food shortages, all wealthy houses were ordered to open their doors to provide free meals for the poor. By this time, Contarini had been dodger for more than ten years, yet he remained an energetic man and an able politician who quickly sensed the mood of the public. According to the chronicler Chinazzo, the imprisoned Pisani remained disliked by the nobles, but all the people loved him and were disappointed at his punishment. Contarini was well aware of this, and in the face of popular agitation, ordered Pisani's release. The result was a wave of popular feeling for the only man whom the people believed could save the city. On his release, Pisani was cheered through the Piazza San Marco by a horde of seamen, and, indeed, half of Venice, shouting, Viva Messer Vettoi! New galleys were now leaving the Arsenale production line at a prodigious rate, and citizens from all walks of life were lining up to volunteer as crews. At the same time, hundreds of fishermen from Murano, Burano, and the outlying islands of the lagoon had rowed in to sign up, waving their banners before the Dodger's palace 
and pledging their allegiance to serve under Pisani. However, in the face of opposition from the nobles, Contarini had been forced to make a concession. Pisani had not been given command of the fleet, but instead had been appointed to a lesser post under his successor, Tadeo Justinian. When the fishermen from the islands heard this, they threw down their banners in disgust and headed back home, uttering words the chronicler thought too indecent to record. Venice could hardly afford internal dissent at such a time, and Doggio Contarini quickly moved to resolve the situation diplomatically, in order to eliminate the very real possibility of a civil war between the arrogant nobles and the despairing citizenry. He appointed himself Captain-General of the Sea, while...